Welcome to Oddly On Air, where we expand teaching and learning perspectives by connecting theory and practice through conversations with expert Westchester University faculty and members of the Office of Digital Learning and Innovation. And now to our hosts. Hi, everyone. Today we have the joy of talking with Dr. Emily Duckett on how she teaches soft skills to create connection and well-being. I'm Madison Steinbrenner, an instructional designer with Oddly. I'm very excited to be diving into this topic of discussion with Dr. Duckett, as well as Tom, who is here as well. Dr. Tom? <laughs> what do you think, Em? Dr. Tom. Does it still feel weird here more than a year later for you, as much as it does for me, to have that doctor in front of your name? It's such an honor. And I just have to say, I still have my students call me Emily. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It That's just okay. feels like I can make more of a connection with them. Um, so... When people do formally say Dr. Duckett, I'm like, ooh, I do sound <laughs> fancy. fancy. Yeah. Well, and it's funny you say that, Emily, part about that connection, because that's really our, our big focus of our conversation here today. But before <laughs> I get there, I do want to highlight that Emily and I were in the same doctoral cohort here at Westchester. Shout so out to were. Cohort 3. <laughs> and uh, highly recommend for folks that might be thinking about it. So, Emily, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Absolutely. So uh, I am a Westchester native. I was born and raised in Westchester. Uh, I decided to head to central Pennsylvania for (laughs) my undergraduate degree um, that I pursued at Penn State in athletic training. And then I decided it was time to come back home. And I came back to Westchester University, pursued my graduate degree in exercise physiology with a concentration of athletic training. And opportunity knocked, and I never left. Um, I feel so grateful to be able to say that because Westchester, when I stepped foot on campus, it felt like home to me. It was like visceral reaction of this is where I'm supposed to be. So I feel really grateful that I have been able to establish roots here and stay uh, first as a temporary faculty member, practicing clinically as an athletic trainer and providing healthcare services to our sports teams here, as well as teaching as a temporary faculty member. And then, as Tom said, I decided to pursue a doctoral degree in education here at the university. And in 2021, my life drastically changed. Um, I was, it was during the pandemic, I was eight months pregnant, defending my dissertation, and interviewing for a tenure-track position (laughs) here at the university. Uh, So I'm so fortunate that all of those unknowns in my life panned out on the positive end and I became a mom, successfully defended uh, my dissertation and earned that 10-year track position. So now I am here as an assistant professor. And as someone who's been around for some of that like journey for you, it's been really cool to see from that first moment when we were working as like, <laughs> I'm teaching this class for the first time, I need help <laughs> instructional designer to like where you're at. Totally. So one of the things from doctoral time together that came out was that you seem to have this love affair with Bernay Brown. And so um, I really would love for you to explain to me and also to our audience, <laughs> what is it about, like, where, explain this love affair with uh, Bernay Brown. It here. is a love affair for sure. Uh, so, you know, when you are pursuing any goal or passion, I I'm a big believer in making sure whatever you're doing really aligns to your core values and is intentional. So I vividly remember the day I decided to pursue the doctoral degree. I was in 
I was in 305, the office in Sturzbecker on that third floor, and I whipped out a piece of paper and I started drawing my goal map. And first thing I always write is my core values. And I wanted to make sure what I wanted to pursue matched those core values. And it was just sitting on my desk for a few weeks. And a graduate student at the time who is now a colleague and a really great friend, he was observing me teach my SMD 210, which is psychosocial skills in relation to sport and rehabilitation. And he was observing me teach and he, you know, I remember him saying, like, I'm just, you know, I'm so proud that you're able to have these vulnerable conversations and important conversations with students and really cultivate this classroom environment where students feel like they can be honest and open and really apply theory and content knowledge of current events today to what they're learning and then what they can use as a clinician. And he was like, a lot of what you're saying really resonates and reminds me of Brene Brown. And I said, Who's Brene Brown? And I did. Imagine that today saying, Who's Uh, Brene Brown? That was me. (laughs) I did. Oh, <laughs> now I know. Now I'm now I'm like, oh. wow, okay. Oh, I can you brought all so, my So wait, 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 wait. Prepping for this podcast, you didn't know who I Brene had Brown no was? idea. <gasps> no idea. There's now Netflix documentary. Like really? she is I'll this, have to check it out. Yeah. <laughs> she is an <laughs> academic yeah. researcher. Okay. That has went viral essentially okay. to be this like popular. Yeah. It's amazing. She has two podcasts on Spotify. Oh, yeah. She's she wonderful. has a Netflix. Yeah, there's I have no idea. Of, I've just Check her under out. a rock. Check her out. <laughs> Check her out for sure. I will. So anyway, like it just really, you know, he pointed me in that direction and it seemed to really resonate with what I was looking to do. And when I was reading one of her first books, I think Tom has it in front of him. Dare um, to lead. Our dare to lead book. I was reading it and it That's just, a theory connection right there. Oh, it's a great sound. <laughs> and it just, she said, you know, she was in this quantitative world, which I just really resonated with, you know, I did my master's thesis on hyponatremia. And so I was essentially a sodium turnover study. So I was measuring um, electrolytes in blood, urine and sweat, like that was my master's thesis. So very quantitative in nature. And when I heard her say, the qualitative side of research and that we could measure things like compassion and caring and kindness, I was just blown away, and I was like, yes, that is what I want to learn more about and want to pursue. So that's certainly where the love affair started. Got it. And you (laughs) did, and you have. Just awesome. Thank you. So how did you originally become interested in teaching soft skills? I know that's something that you've mentioned you're interested in before. Absolutely. So... I, as I alluded to, um, I have this great privilege here in the athletic training program at Westchester University in the sports medicine department. Um, Not many universities across the country use this model anymore. We are definitely um, the minority. And that's a model where y'all both teach and practice within the same context, right? Exactly. Yes. So our founder of our program, Phil Donnelly, who we just celebrated 52 plus years of (laughs) athletic training education here at the university. That was his model and something he really was passionate about. So we still operate that way today. So I happen to be, and I'll say with our athletic training education program, we teach hard skills like no other. You know, (laughs) our students are confident and competent in their diagnosis, pathological evaluation skills, rehabilitation skills. We teach them second to none. However... I was in the athletic training room and I was trying to figure out my niche and where I belonged and what I was passionate about. 
And that day when all of those thoughts were coming in, it just it happened. A, a patient came in, you know, the saga of two teammates walking in with that patient <laughs> off the field, clearly had a knee injury. And uh, my colleague went to evaluate her with one of our students, which is how we learn, right? We bring the students in, we let them learn under the supervision of a preceptor. And the the clinician, he went to test this individual's ACL and there was significant tibial translation, which is a sign of... Okay, for those of us that yeah. don't speak that language, so what does that mean? So the lower half of the knee moved forward Ooh. when you stabilized it. <laughs> okay. And that's never a great sign. Usually that's indicative of some, usually an anterior cruciate ligament or an ACL tear. Okay. So the patient obviously is upset, crying, very, you know, in a very down state, negative emotions for sure, naturally. And the clinician, he did a great job of navigating the situation, and he asked if this patient was comfortable with the student trying that clinical exam test, a Lachman test. And the student went over to do the Lachman and felt that anterior translation, which we don't get those positive tests when we teach it in the classroom, right? Because you you have to see those on the job or in the field. It's not like you can be like, here, let me tear my ligament for you to (laughs) study it. Exactly. So the student like lights up and is so excited to get a positive test and to know that they could identify it as a positive test and just burst out, you tore your ACL. (laughs) And everybody in the room was like, oh, at that moment, I was like, we do an excellent job, excellent, of teaching our hard skills and preparing our students, but I think we need to really focus on the uh, integration of teaching soft skills mm-hmm. and patient interactions and patient-centered care and how to have that communication because that was where I saw my niche, that I could then provide that research-based education, which... In our competencies as athletic training educators, we do one of the competencies is to exhibit empathy and compassion, and that's a foundational behavior of practice. So I thought, there's my avenue. I'm going to teach this. I'm going to assess it and hopefully integrate it into their clinical practices so they could be the best clinicians that they could be when they go out into the field. Awesome. All right. So how do you define these soft Mm -hmm. skills? That's a loaded question. So soft skills are definitely, the definition kind of ebbs and flows depending on the field of education that you're looking at. Um, So for the professional field of healthcare, soft skills, the definition I use is that it really, it really includes the abilities such as ethics, attitudes, interpersonal abilities, communication, and lifelong learning. That was a theory connection, wasn't it? Oh, okay. It is. And... Some people will talk about soft skills as, you know, personal, social, communication, self-management behaviors. There's a quote uh, that I love that an author simply said that soft skills in clinical content are comprised of doing the right thing at the right time. And that really waters it down to such a simple level. But in the moment, that could be really challenging if you're not practicing that or ethically prepared for those type of hard decisions and conversations and yeah, that, those emotional processes. That story you highlight where the student is like, this is amazing, I'm getting to do this, versus the athlete who is like, oh my yeah. gosh, I'm not going to get to play again this season. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, and 
I mean, this is a passion of mine, an area of research for sure. But on that first day of clinical to my students, I was like, you never walk up to me or anybody and say, oh, how's your knee today? Or, oh, that girl over there, that woman with the knee injury. No, you do not define the person by their pathology. Mm -hmm. They are a human being first, and we are going to address them that way. And I want you to ask them how they are and be genuine because we can't think of healthcare in this biomedical model as just disease and pathology. We have to really think of it in a biopsychosocial model that we are treating the patient, we are treating um, them physically, we are treating them emotionally, as well as um, providing resources for the proper mental health care. So going off of these soft skills a little bit, what do you think are some of the most valuable ones that students can develop for themselves to build better connections and well-being? That's, yeah, um, that's great. So I think the first place that students need to start and and the research supports this, as well as data I have um, had the opportunity to collect, is it has to start with the self first. So really helping students build self-awareness and helping them build self-compassion as well as emotional intelligence is really that first step for me in, in my perspective. So emotional intelligence by Goldman is defined theory theory again as the ability to recognize understand and manage our own emotions as well as recognize understand and influence the emotions of others i think that's kind of what sparked my fascination of being able to not only teach and assess and practice empathy and compassion for the students because it's really important to be able to be that type of healthcare provider so do you have any kind of practical suggestions around that idea of helping students develop some of these skills, especially ones that maybe can translate beyond just your field? I think, so I had the opportunity, uh, my colleague, Dr. Allison Gardner-Shires, and I um, did develop a curriculum based off of various research articles that we read for, for my dissertation studies. And this was catered more towards the healthcare side, but I think the best place to start is to integrate some of not only the theory and having the students understand, but actually implementation and practicing. Like we do a lot of one-on-one workshops, interviews, self-reflection, all of those different things, role-playing, because they have to practice. You have to experience that hard, difficult situation and get over that deer in headlights look. (laughs) of that initial reaction. So we practice and we reflect and a really great exercise that could apply to any situation is called a fishbowl activity. So we always have, we usually have two students or um, one's role playing as a clinician or that could enter anything there, right? Teacher, guidance counselor. It could, it could be many different scenarios and then a patient in, in, in my little bubble, my world. And, And I have students on the outside who They don't knock on the fishbowl. They just sit back and they observe, and then they provide constructive feedback. And I also, before doing this, need to teach what is constructive feedback and help people be prepared to receive that feedback to make the exercise really worthwhile. So that's what I would say is make things as applicable and real life as they can and have them practice. That's great because, I mean, you can take so many college classes, but until you actually step foot in that classroom or in that hospital or, you know, wherever, you're not going to get that actual real-life experience. I mean, it's particularly in your program, you get a lot of practical hands-on for your for your students. We um, do. 
but I, I still think there's a lot of opportunities even within the classroom to uh, put students into scenarios that are really close to the real yeah. thing, <laughs> especially mm-hmm. now with VR, 360 video, yeah. things like that. There are opportunities. So Exactly. And, and what we really do is th- this curriculum that we taught was actually to our pre-professional students. So it kind of is a prep for them. Mm-hmm. And then we check in and do reflection logs when they do start their clinical. And we ask questions about using soft skills. So it's a constant reminder that these are really important. Because think back, like think back personally to both of you. When you go to a healthcare provider, what are things you look for? What mm-hmm. are qualities you look for? <laughs> for someone that listens, is compassionate to my symptoms, that kind of thing. Not rushing through. Yeah. Right. So their heart, I mean, you know, you're hoping that everybody is, their competencies are met. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's things. So you look for that next level, which is that addition of the soft skill. All right. So I think we're going to shift a little bit in terms of questions Mm because one of the questions we have on here is can you explain and we weren't sure is it (laughs) PERMA or P-E-R-M-A or I uh, call it PERMA PERMA Perma. okay (laughs) so can you explain that a little bit to us and how you how it might be applied in higher education settings absolutely so PERMA um, is Dr. Martin Seligman's theory of well-being Um, he is essentially considered like the godfather of positive psychology. <laughs> so he was the president, I, to my understanding from my readings and research, he was the president at one point of the American Psychological Association. And during his tenure of that position, what he put in the forefront was positive psychology. Before that, psychology was not ever considered positive, my understanding as a non-psychological clinician. <laughs> if we got it wrong, somebody can let us know. Yeah. Yes, please do. I'd love to learn more. Uh, but he developed this theory, and it's consistent. And he's at UPenn, so he's, you know, Pennsylvania. Nearby. And his theory consists of five different constructs. So that is positive emotion, engagement, relationships, meaning, and achievement. Theory. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> so what he talks about really are using positive emotions such as joy, hope, happiness into our life to kind of bring them to the forefront. And to do this in the classroom and to incorporate PERMA or the theory of well-being, he also, you know, he has a lot of curriculums and a lot of different um, resiliency training programs. And one exercise that is very well researched is a gratitude practice called Three Good Things. So this is something I use in the classroom very often. And I have students, like, if I'm having them fill a worksheet out, or I know none of you can see me on a podcast right now, but I'm in my scrubs because I have the honor of teaching cadaver anatomy this summer. And the students are stressed. I'm teaching to the, our second PA cohort here at the university. And the students are stressed because they are learning the anatomy of the human body during a summer session. And that is a lot of inform- dense information. In five weeks. In five weeks. That is a lot. So, wow. <laughs> you know, when I see them all, I t- have them take a deep breath. I take a deep, long breath. And then some days when I can really feel the tension, I'll just say, look to the person next to you and say three good things that have happened to you this week doesn't have to be daily it doesn't have to be structured but it really changes their mindset and allows them to focus on positives in their lives rather than worrying about the overwhelm and the stress or the to-do list 
and it really, I find it to be extremely useful. And if I want it more formal, say in a different class, and I have them completing an online module, I'll make the last question of the worksheet, the three good things, gratitude practice. And it might not be related to the content, but it could be a mood booster of positive emotion for sure. Okay. Brown describes creating a positive experience and letting go of a negative attribute in return. Many of the negative attributes she describes, things like perfectionism, self-doubt, always being in control, sound like concepts that students regularly suffer from. So how can students in higher education settings work on letting go of these negative attributes? This is a really good question. (laughs) Really, really good question, Madison. So... From my lens, again, this is just, you know, my perspective of things I've read, things I've lived in experiences, both personally and professionally, and I borrow Brene Brown's term, I am truthfully a recovering perfectionist. So this question resonates with me on a visceral level. (laughs) And there's a quote of hers, and her words have really helped me on my best days and my worst days during this journey. And I would love to share those words and her quote with, with listeners in case, in case anyone else <laughs> needs them. So her quote is, wholehearted living is about engaging in our lives from a place of worthiness. It means cultivating courage, compassion, and connection to wake up in the morning and think no matter what gets done and how much is left undone, I am enough. It is going to bed at night and thinking, yes, I am imperfect and vulnerable and sometimes afraid, but that doesn't change the truth that I'm also brave and worthy of love and belonging. I think for students who have those growing to-do lists or professionals that have those growing to-do lists, this really helps. It lets you know that what you are doing is enough and you are chipping away and it is about growth and growth mindset and things don't happen in a you know upward positive trajectory (laughs) but rather it's a roller coaster ride and I tell my students that what matters and is at the end is that line is angling upward right (laughs) you're gonna have lows and upwards and roller coasters but at the end it will be okay and you'll get there so do you have any other tips for instructors who may want to start incorporating more well-being strategies into their courses I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all <laughs> approach. I think you have to find what feels authentic to you and what you're comfortable engaging in. But I think my advice would be to do that gratitude practice. So what's something that's bringing you joy these days? So I'm a relatively new mom. Um, I have a 15-month-old, and I have a yellow lab who is a uh, five-year-old, and he is a therapy dog, actually, so I brought him to de-stress events here on campus. And one of my favorite things to do is um, we take a morning walk around our neighborhood, and my daughter is in the age where she wants to run independently by herself, (laughs) but she always takes the time to smell the flowers at every single mailbox and point and say, hi, bird like to the birds flying by and it's just a really joyful active reminder to stop and smell the, the, the roses. So to summarize today we've had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Emily Duckett about her experience teaching soft skills to foster connection and well-being with her students. We learned about her love and appreciation for Bernay Brown and how her research has influenced not only her professional but also her personal life. Dr. Duckett shared some fantastic tips for both faculty and students about letting go of negative attributes and replacing them with positive experiences. 
Thanks for listening today, everyone. If you have any interest in being a future guest or if you have any suggestion for a future topic, please email us at distanced at wcupa.edu. And thank you for joining us today, Dr. Duckett. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Couldn't find the closing. We got there.